Hey everyone, Oscar here. On this week's show, we've got Seth Galina, a football coach and freelance writer for USA Football and SB Nation, to break down the game against the Rams. We talk about that opening drive, the adjustments the Niners made, their absolute dominance on defense, and whether or not the 49ers offense is equipped to win a game when they do not have a positive game script. And then we bring Denton Day on the show. He is the host of the Pig Pen podcast on Hogs Haven. And he is going to be here to preview the game against the Washington Redskins and talk about whether or not this is a trap game for the Niners or whether they should coast to an easy win. So let's go. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, it is the fifth consecutive win Wednesday in a row. Jalen Ramsey is officially a Los Angeles Ram, and with me this week to tell us exactly why Sam Ellinger is a better quarterback than Joe Burrow, it's Seth Galina. Okay, I'm going to hang up right now, actually, <laughs> because Joe Burrow is the best quarterback to ever have lived, actually, not just in college football right now he's the best quarterback to ever live i mean on a niners podcast them's fighting words them some strong words as i sit in a <laughs> recording room with a signed steve young jersey behind me we're gonna have some words seth thanks for coming on the show uh for those that don't know you you are a quarterback's coach you were a twitter savant uh you are all of the wonderful things on twitter uh tell folks uh, what you do yeah I, I you know like you said i'm a quarterback coach um up here in the cold white north of uh Montreal, Quebec, and I'm a writer for a bunch of different uh, websites. I'm a freelance writer and just writing about football and scheme mostly. And uh, I try and put some quarterback threads, uh, you know, the reads and stuff on, on Twitter and um, just like watching football, man. Yeah, and you've definitely been pushing that Joe Burrow narrative. You know, I saw him live in the Texas LSU game. And of course, for, for those that don't know, I, I went to UT, so I'm a big Texas fan. Man, I, I did not think that Joe Burrow was going to be that good this year. He's good. He is good at the football, and he's playing out of his mind this year. Oh, I, I had to delete all of my preseason Joe Burrow takes because it's just like, <laughs> well, you know, uh, my, 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 my theory that's probably can be easily debunked. It, it's really like a galaxy brain theory, but it's just that quarterbacks don't really get better. They kind of are who they are. And you can like refine certain areas, but you kind of know pretty early who can play and who can't play. And I was like, well, Joe Burrow can't play. And, you know, all he did was throw fades to his receivers last year. And then he missed reads and this and that and whatever. And, you know, I know he worked on a bunch of stuff. I know this, this isn't a Joe Burrow podcast, but he, you know, he, he won. He worked with Tom House. I'm pretty sure Tom House is in the San Francisco area. Um, you know, he worked with him. They did a lot of stuff with the receivers. They got a new OC, all that stuff. And he's just playing. I mean, he's on pace to be the to have the best quarterback season in college football history. So, you know, I'm an LSU fan, so I'm hoping uh, hoping it continues uh, through uh, through the Alabama game, I guess. Well, let's, we're going to get to talk about quarterbacks here in a second because I did want to ask you a bit about uh, one old Jimmy Garoppolo. But let's, let's talk about the Niners game because the Niners came to Los Angeles uh, and basically made it a home game and defeated the Rams 20-7. to The Niners defense held the Rams to 48 net yards passing, uh, the zero completions, more than 15 yards. 
this game was close at times, but it never really felt out of hand. Uh, it was one hell of a win for the 49ers. I, I like, I, I, you know, Goff is not like this incredible quarterback, but to make any quarterback look like they did, any professional quarterback look like they did, I mean, really outstanding job by the defense, um, getting after him, uh, tight coverage. I mean, it's everything, you know, it, there's, not, there's not a special pill. It's just everything you got to do to play good defense, be physical with receivers, get to the quarterback. And, and they did it, and, and they've been doing it the whole year. Now, of course, the opening drive wasn't super great for the 49ers. Let's talk about that a little bit because there was a bit of news made after the game when the team said, you know, they, they kind of made an adjustment to that opening drive. And of course, then they they held the team to, I think, something like 2.2 yards uh, after that opening drive. And when you look at the first set of plays that Sean McVay came out and did, it was pretty clear he had a plan. And he had a plan to do a lot of, you know, start with some what looked like strong side of runs, but they were really almost designed to cut back because... When you get the the run action that you see on that opening drive, they had a lot of sift motion. They had a lot of tight end coming across the formation. And really, it's asking for that cutback. And with the Niners wide nine alignment, oftentimes you get a really, really big bubble on the backside, on the weak side, really, between the nose tackle and the defensive end. And because the Rams were in 11 personnel, all of a sudden, you've got a defensive back on that backside B gap. And it was just easy money early on for the Rams consistently kind of going to the strong side at first, but then the running back was just like, all right, there's a huge cutback lane there. It's going to be super easy. And they did it over and over and over again. And of course they had some creative, uh, creative run calls as well in there. And ultimately they scored, but that, that was one hell of an opening drive by Sean McVay. And I thought, you know, opening game script, I was like, Oh God, this, this is not going to go well. Yeah. And the, you know, they did exactly what, that they've been doing to teams, uh, you know, since Sean McVay got there. And it's that wide zone, stretch the front side, make it look like the you know, running back's gonna gonna stretch all the way to where the, you know, kind of to the side the run is going. The O line is gonna stretch the front side, and then the backside O linemen are just gonna pin and wash down on the backside, and then the cutback is the whole name of the game is the cutback, right? You're not really trying to get all the way to the sideline to the front side that's too far and there's too many bodies there um and and actually you know well, well i'm sure we'll talk about how that was kind of the 49ers game plan on their offense was to get to the sideline with their runs but anyways uh so the, the rams you know that's what they do and like you said there was so much action there was that sift um block by the tight end there was all that fake jet orbit this that and there's so so much you know in my notes i wrote so much action so much deception and you saw it on the first drive like people were you know linebackers were late in their reads because they're looking at all this stuff in the backfield you know take one bad step this way and then all of a sudden the run cuts back right on your on your on your backside and that was really was um kind of a microcosm of what the rams do to you on that on that first drive where they just kind of went down the field and then the touchdown you know, you show the end around, you show the orbit, you show it, you show it, you don't give it, and then you give it and you get an eight-yard touchdown. So it's, I mean, really, really a fantastic drive by, by, the, by the 49ers. They don't let their bad quarterback throw the football. They go down the field, they score a touchdown. doesn't get better than that. Well, that's exactly it. That, that's the game plan that McVay very clearly had coming into the game. It was like, hey, we just paid this quarterback a bunch of money. Let's hide him. Let's go ahead and, and, yeah. not, and not do the thing that quarterbacks should do, which is throw the ball, which, I mean, I understand, right? I think that, that Jared Goff is 
you know, he is very much aided by that system. But, you know, on that opening drive, I think it took a lot. It was a lot of things that broke down for the Niners. It wasn't just Sean McVay scheming. But like you said, a lot of the action had linebackers going in opposite directions. It was a really, really pretty run. Uh, it was that, that quick hit inside run to, uh, to Robert Woods. It looked like a wing T run. And you had the linebackers going in opposite directions. Literally, their, their keys, they were re- keying off of two different players. And they went two different ways. And, and it, it was really, really pretty. And DJ Jones just did not have a good game on the nose on that opening drive. He was getting washed out consistently and leaving those wide gaps open on that backside. There was an inside zone run that I posted on Twitter where he just is literally probably four yards away from where he started. Um, and, and so overall, it was a lot of, all right, we, we took the Rams best shot. And then the Niners came back with an adjustment and, and, and adjusted some things that ultimately, you know, can, they kind of rode to, to win the game over the course of the, the next several drives. Is uh, DJ Jones 93? Yes, he is indeed. Okay, because my first note is 93 getting washed. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So that's exactly it. And yeah, but the, the adjustment and, and, you know, you, uh, you pointed this out to me and then I saw it live. And, it, and, it, and I mean, it's a great adjustment. It's not like, and out of this world, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't exactly. something that got passed down, you know, through the heavens. You know, this is how you beat zones. And I don't know if you want to talk about it, you want me to say it, but they started just slatting angle yeah, from it, the inside guys. It's not an uncommon just, adjustment. It really yeah. isn't. It's something that obviously Kyle Shanahan must know because it, teams have done it against the Niners several exactly. times. But, but ultimately, what you do with, your, with your, your linemen is you basically make them jump gaps or slant. And it really screws with the the blocking assignments for zone because for zone blocking, basically, are you covered or uncovered? And that's going to determine what you do, where you double team and, and when you are going to move up to the second level. Well, if all of a sudden you think that someone's going to be in a particular gap and at the snap they jump to another gap, now all of a sudden you've got to think on the fly, you've got to adjust your blocking scheme or you completely mess up your blocking scheme and things begin to fall apart. And that's exactly what the 49ers did with Solomon Thomas and DeForest Buckner, especially along the interior. A lot of those runs for the Rams were hitting that backside B-gap on the cutback. And so what the Niners did is they actually put Solomon Thomas at the nose uh, and DeForest Buckner on three technique, and, and they alternated a little bit. But they basically had them jump gaps and move into either that backside B-gap or somewhere else. And when they started getting penetration, they started exchanging gaps. That started to really mess with the Rams' run game. Uh, and ultimately, it allowed them to get a couple of key stops. Solomon Thomas played a phenomenal game, I think. Uh, well, not phenomenal. It's a stretch. He played a very, very good game. Um, I think DeForest Buckner, once he settled down after that opening drive, also had a good game. But it was a good on-the-fly adjustment. And it is how you beat zone runs. And, and I think the surprising thing is how McVay didn't necessarily react to that um, and kind of try, kept trying to do some of the same things. And it just didn't work. Yeah, there was one play that I saw. It was a big Daryl Henderson run. Daryl Henderson had like I think back-to-back runs. I want to say in the third quarter. Yeah, I got and worried. The first one, I got real worried. Was so the, the Niners are slanting their two interior D linemen, and the Rams ran like a you know a toss crack type of play away from where they were slanting. So now all of a sudden, everyone's going one way. And Daryl Henderson is running to the sideline the other way. And that was the one time that I saw them really um, kind of call a play that was kind of designed to beat what 
the 49ers were doing and it worked. And then it kind of, he kind of didn't go back to it after that. What I thought was super interesting was that immediately after that opening drive, which 11 personnel really forced, you know, people like Kwan Williams to play that backside B gap. All of a sudden on that, on the next drive, McVay comes out in a lot of two tight end sets. And with two tight end sets, now the 49ers can get their same linebacker in Dre Greenlaw. And he had a, you know, he he played well and he was an extra bigger body in that run game. And the Rams kept trying to run now against bigger personnel in the box. It, it just seems surprising that they had so much success with 11 personnel that they didn't stick with that, which is kind of their, with their hallmark. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those, you know, kind of curious things. Maybe it was part of the game plan. Maybe he decided he needed to change it up, but it was, it was a solid opening drive for the Rams, but the Niners definitely adjusted and all throughout the rest of the game. I mean, it was basically defensive stops for everyone. Because per football, per fo- pro football outsiders, the Rams had a success rate of 60% on first down and 56% on second down. But once you get into third and fourth downs, everything fell apart. They were 0 for 15, converting third and fourth down opportunities on Sunday, including 0 for 6 in short yardage plays, 1 to 2 yards to go. I mean, that's remarkable. 0 for 15 on third and fourth downs, especially with how good they were doing on first and second down. It's it's really a testament to how good this defense is playing as an entire unit. You know, once you get Goff into these situations, man, he just can't see the field right now. And he's he's kind of putting himself in bad situations in the pocket. Now, obviously, you know, the 49ers were able to tee off, you know, D Ford, uh, Nick Bosa, and and the kind of stunts and blitzes that they did really got home. And, you know, look, if you're a human being playing against that, you're going to, even if you're a professional quarterback, you're going to get a little shell-shocked in there. And you can see, you know, Goff already doesn't move his feet that much in the pocket, and then you do that against this type of pass rush where the coverage is good enough that you need to get to your second read, to get to your third read. Goff does not stand a chance. And it, and it showed up. And, it, and it, look, I, there was a, some place to be made down the field that he didn't take, but... I think at the end of the day, this was really good coverage, and and then a pass rush that, like I said, if you if you give it give it an extra second, it's getting home all the time. And they also had some nice stunts, man. You know, these little tackle end stunts, te stunts, where Bosa was looping around free into the into the a gap next to the center. It was it was tough. They sent the nickel a bunch of times, and then ran the same stunt to the side where they were sending the nickel and got free. It, it was beautiful. Like, I, like I'm a quarterback guy. I love watching quarterbacks throw the ball down the field. But this was such a great um, defensive performance. And I don't know if you, it, uh, what you thought about this, but uh, I think I have it charted about five times that they played like kind of strict man to man on passing on passing situations. And maybe my charting isn't always perfect, but they were as good just sticking to receivers as I've seen uh, from a team in, in, in a game this year. I don't know how you, what you thought about that. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. They are mixing more of their coverages this year. They they haven't played as much man coverage as as one would expect over the course of the year. You know, the, in the beginning of the year, we did kind of a Joe Woods preview show. And we were thinking that if Joe Woods was going to bring anything to this team, hopefully it was a bit more man defense. Because last year, the 49ers defense played a little better when they were in man and they had just too many kind of spot drop zones that just were not good. And, and this year, they're they're playing more split safeties, and they are they are sticking to more zones, but it's more match zones um, that we thought yeah. that Joe Woods was going to bring as well. 
And that, I think, has been most the change. I think that they have the horses to play man, though. They really do. They've got athletes on the edges. I think, honestly, their worst athlete at corner currently is Richard Sherman. Like, flat out. He just oh, is. it's not even a question. Yeah. And he's, he's, he, he's, he's wily now at this point in his career. Like, trying to jump stuff. He actually he almost gave up the, the, the touchdown when Goff overthrew yep. um, Everett, I believe. Yeah, he because you know he's, he's he he knows he 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 can use his you know uh, experience to jump certain routes and stuff. And, and I think your point about them using a lot more um, kind of middle of the field open stuff is true. I counted about eight, you know, and 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 I say the like counting trying to figure out what coverage the team runs is like you'll kill yourself trying to do it. And I'm I'm half dead just watching one game, but uh, I got about eight um coverage snaps in some sort of quarters match zone too high type of situation and then a couple more in like a kind of a a regular cover too so yeah that they're playing a ton of middle of the field open which is not what i expected to see when i watched them but they're really good in it they play palms which is um a coverage where both corners will make it look like they're going deep and then kind of come off and, and try and bang any any like quick out route. And you saw Sherman do it a couple times. Like they, they, they mixed it up. It's really good. Um, and like you said, they were good last year. No, they were, they were not good. Like what, what happened? It's a, a lot of the same players. They're just, you know, Jimmy Ward looks good. So and I'm, uh, I'm glad you, you brought know, up Jimmy Quan Ward. Alexander came in. He looks good. Fred I'm, Warner looks good. So it, it, it's really fun to watch. I'm glad you brought up Jimmy Ward because he's someone who's been much maligned and on this podcast, much maligned by me as well, because the dude can't stay healthy and he hasn't really stuck at a position. But I will say that this game uh, for Jimmy Ward was probably his best game since 2016. And I would say it's one of his top five games ever because he had three targets, no receptions, four tackles. Uh, no missed tackles. He's always been a very, very good tackler, but he had a couple of forced incompletions. Uh, he got credit, I think, with one pass breakup. I mean, you look at the the other games that he's had where he's had a very, very good game. He had, you know, 2016, he had a sack, a pick, and, you know, only allowed five receptions on nine targets for like 36 yards. Then you have to go all the way back to 2015. Week 13 against the Bears, he had a pick six. Week 15 against the Bengals, he had a sack and a pass breakup. But it, like he has flashed. And he has been okay as long as he's been healthy. The problem's always been his health. And if if he is able to stick at free safety, which is a position that was considered his most natural fit coming out of college, and is the position that Jimmy Ward says that he likes to play, if he's gotten hopefully all of his bone breaks out of the way this year already between his collarbone and his finger, um, that's going to be an interesting, uh, it's going to be a very, very positive development between that and Akella Witherspoon that will really help drive the success of this defense because you're absolutely right. They, a lot of them are the same players and a lot of the things have broken well for the 49ers. And, you know, coverage is just one of those things where, you know, the, the, the performance of corners is kind of, it fluctuates year to year. And luckily the Niners have gotten a couple breaks here and, you know, with Jimmy Warden and Keller Witherspoon and even uh, E-Man, Emmanuel Mosley, that that's been really, really positive for this team because it's not just the front that's been succeeding. It's also the coverage. Yeah, and, and I think that what I saw out of them just man-to-man, like I was saying, because, yeah, you're right. They're playing a bunch of different coverages in terms of middle of field open, middle of field close. But I think in the NFL, at the end of the day, you've got to be able to play mad coverage whenever you feel like it. And if they can, like they did in this game going forward, 
then the defense will just keep getting better and better and better because it's now you now you can you can't you can live in a world where okay we're getting picked apart in zone because some quarterbacks will pick you apart Jared Goff won't do it but Russell Wilson might and so to be able to just say hey look we're going to lock down receivers we're going to play press man we don't care if they know we're going to play press man we're going to force the quarterback onto a second read and then again you know with, with how good the d-line is it'll get home now the 49ers did win the game and it was very much on the defense's back but their offense has been well this wasn't their offense's best game they're still very much trying to hide their tackles and their offensive plan shows it they had a they had their average depth of the target for jimmy garoppolo's 4.2 yards only 23 percent of his yards came through the air and it was pretty clear that even in the opening script they had screens on their second down plays to Kittle and Brita. They were giving help to Dan. They started giving help to Justin School, and and really it was kind of like okay, it, it it just feels very very tight. Like you worry when Jimmy Garoppolo drops back and has to take more than two or three seconds to throw the ball, and and their offense just seemed like it really couldn't get on schedule. And, and overall, while the defense played great, I would say the offense is still very much trying to find its rhythm. Yeah, but I mean, that's kind of what you get from having a quarterback who's probably in the, I don't know where you would put him, but it looks like to me he's somewhere, this is a pretty big range, but he's somewhere in the 10 to 18 ranked quarterback, um, Garoppolo. And it's the same with with Goff on the other side. And what you get from those guys is these kind of tantalizing plays. Um, Garoppolo in the seam, uh, I think in the third quarter or fourth quarter, um, to set to set the Niners up at the two, and then one of the most the, one of the weirdest decisions I've seen on the goal line, throwing the pick. So it's like you watch it and you're like, oh yeah, okay, I see it. This is a good read. This is a great throw, great accurate throw. He throws to Kittle on a nice little, nice little play by Shanahan. They're running a wheel. It's like a flood concept, but they use the uh, the running back on a wheel out of the backfield to create the vertical aspect and it wasn't there so he kind of moves in the pocket and he and he's moving his body and he throws to um kittle on like kind of a you know a 15 yard out route and it's like wow look at this guy this guy's incredible and then he throws in the dirt on a back shoulder uh fade that has no business not getting to the receiver's hands and that's kind of like i loved i i love watching Jimmy Garoppolo in terms of his mechanics and all that stuff. But I'm, I'm, I'm finding out something that, you know, I think 49ers people have kind of known and have tried to hide it for a long time that he might not be this top five, top 10 guy that we all kind of want him to be, I guess. Yeah. So for me, Jimmy, I, I, his ranking right now, I, I don't think that he's part of the elite. And, and I think that you, my ranking probably isn't a linear one, two, three, four, five, right? I actually think you can probably put quarterbacks in clusters based on what they do. I think the example for me about quarterback clustering is really Jameis Winston, right? Jameis Winston is going to similarly have those super high highs, but he's going to have six interceptions, you know, in a game, right? He's going to have some really bonehead throws. I don't know that that's easily plottable on like a one through 32 ranking. So, you know, you look at like how safe they are, you look at whether or not they've got some of that high end stuff, how risky they are. Um, all those things, I think, go into the equation of, of clustering the quarterbacks. 
And, and for me, Garoppolo is someone who has proven some really, really good things that you like, like you call out, right? His accuracy is really there. His processing is quick. His decision making is mostly sound. But this game, he did have a couple of really boneheaded decisions, right? You mentioned the interception on that, uh, that smash concept where I think it was the right decision. He should have thrown it to Kittle. Kittle got held. But he just if you're going to make that throw, you've got to put it into the corner of the end zone where only your dude can get it, not in this really weird kind of no man's land where you're going to allow Marcus Peters to sink, get depth, and get the interception. You know, he only had two, yeah. he only had two throws attempted to be on 15 yards in the air. And, and I do think that the edict for Jimmy Garoppolo is probably get the ball out quick. I think Jimmy Garoppolo knows in his head that he's got two backup tackles. And if he waits for too long, he's going to get smacked. And, and I think he's made some really questionable calls over the course of the year. In preseason, it started with, you know, just not seeing the sinking corner. He seems to have a consistent problem with seeing that sinking corner. Um, but I think overall, he still only got like a season of actual playtime under his belt. And I think that he does the things well that you want your quarterback to do. And these are the growing pains of having, you know, uh, actually playtime within a Kyle Shanahan offense. And I think that when you get both starting tackles, you get more time in the system. Hopefully those things start to iron out. Um, what, what I don't hope you come on here and say is that, you know, him and Nick Mullins are going to be uh, in the same kind of grouping because we're going to have some we're going to have some Joe Burrow fights and then we're going to have some Nick Mullins fights. If, uh, if no, that's a result. I, I of course wouldn't say that because <laughs> Nick Mullins is much better than Jimmy Garoppolo. All right. Get out. Get out right now. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I, I think he, you know, I've said this a lot over the past a couple of years since I started um, watching Garoppolo when he got traded. He has some of the smoothest mechanics um, out there. So, you know, the ball, especially over the middle of the field, I find that, you know, that, that kind of intermediate box over the middle of the field, he, he puts the ball where he needs to put it. But I think you're right in the sense that he's not trying to wait in the pocket. And it's like golf, you know, golf played with, with, a, with a banged up O line um, on Sunday. And, and it's been a bank, it's been a pretty shoddy O line the whole year. And he just doesn't want to stand there. And Garoppolo is the same way. You know, there's, there's a good, good example of, I don't know if it was off play action or not, but it was really just a two man route. So the two wide receivers on other ends of the field are running deep comebacks. And they get the exact look they want, which is basically an off corner, right? Off corner who is in a zone turn looking inside and they're going to run an outbreaking route underneath them to the sideline. They get it. And he just says, nope, throwing it down. And I was like, okay, well, if you're going to do that, then you're going to have a hard time moving the offense um, at the NFL level if you're not going to try and push it. Like you said, 4.2 air yards per attempt is just not – it's not good. It's really not good, do you, especially do you when you look at some offense, of the other throws he makes, and you're like, "Oh, well, he can do it if he wants to." Um, but like you said, it's just—it's it, almost like a mental thing with it. It's one, two, three. I gotta go. I don't have the protection I need, and uh, it's too bad because I, I, I just as a fan, of, like I said, as a fan of quarterbacks, I just want to see him push the ball down the field more because I know he can do it. Well, I think I kind of almost take it the other way, right? Which is that they are undefeated and they are definitely relying on the strength of their defense. And eventually, I think when he's got both starting tackles back, this offense will eventually be able to afford Garoppolo the time he needs to push the ball downfield. He is leading the league right now in time to throw in terms of getting the ball out quickly with like a minimum of, of something like 100 dropbacks. He's the fastest in the NFL at getting that ball out. 
And and I think it is because of the fact that Shanahan is trying to protect him because he knows he's got suboptimal tackles. So I do think that if they're if they're like this and they're this dangerous when their their offense is not clicking, eventually they're going to play a complete game and it's going to look more like the Bengals game where they're just not only holding teams to seven or fourteen points. Um, I think right now they're like second in scoring defense, allowing twelve point eight points a game or something like that. But they're also going to throw up thirty just on offense alone with no pick sixes, and that's when you're really going to see the dominance of this team. You know, before we get to the stop the the spotlight players, I wanted to ask you a question about the offense because. Uh, I'm, all of the games thus far that they've won that have been even remotely close at any point in the game, there have been positive game scripts. You know, it's been like the defense is holding them. They don't have to really do anything other than run the ball. The game isn't out of hand. Garoppolo doesn't have to throw in order to catch up. Do you think that they can win, you know, over the next couple of weeks? Let's say they get in the shootout for some reason with Arizona because Arizona is just a weird team and it's Kyler Murray and why the hell not? Do you think that the Niners offense, as currently constructed right now, with without their backup tackles, can can win a game with a suboptimal game script? Well, you know, it's like you said, it's up to the play calling and the quarterback wanting to sit back there. Because these routes, like, you, you know, if you're going to call a bunch of underneath stuff and quick game stuff and screens, then, then, then maybe... You know, like my favorite team went into Seattle and called a bunch of screen passes, and Alvin Kamara took all those screen passes for touchdowns. So yeah, you you could have a game like that, um, but I wouldn't bet on it going forward. But like I said, I I see Garoppolo being able to do more, but you have to live with I'm going to take a hit once in a while. I think that's to me that's that's the thing because there's going to be people open down the field. There always is in every NFL game. It's it's up to the quarterback who he wants to sit around there in the pocket and with people kind of you know uh, chopping at the bit to go get him as the pocket collapses and just wanting to take shots down the field. So I, I think the offense could do that. There's definitely playmakers. Um, obviously, the tight end, uh, the biggest one. So he could do that, but it's all about do they want to do that? Um, and it's almost like they kind of don't want to, kind of like the Saints too with Teddy Bridgewater. It's like, well, they're in these positive game scripts, so it's not the end of the world if we're just calling a bunch of screen passes and quick game and stuff like that. Um, but I think I think Garoppolo has the tools necessary to go down the field more uh, if he if he wants to sit back there in the pocket. The 49ers have led for, this is from Eric Branch on Twitter, the 49ers have led for 125 minutes and 45 seconds of the 150 minutes they've played after halftime this season. They have 118 rushing attempts and have thrown just 55 passes in the second half. They're definitely run heavy because they need to be and also because it benefits them. But let's get the spotlight players because mine's going to be on defense because it, this was a defensive game. It's going to be D Ford. He played a, an absolute lights-out game against the Rams. He had five total pressures. He had two sacks, a forced fumble. He is the, uh, the yin to the yang of Nick Bosa. He can get around the edge fast. Uh, and his, his fumble of Jared Goff, I mean, he's just exploiting the tiny, tiny hands that Jared Goff has back there in the pocket. <laughs> uh, and he pokes the ball out. And ultimately, I think D Ford was able to... Uh, he, I mean, this is the best game I think D Ford has played in, in a long, long time. Uh, maybe the best of his career, just based on how he was able to consistently win and get pressures, even if that was going to come 
at limited snaps. So I think D Ford for me was my spotlight player. Who was yours? I'm going to be corny, actually. I'm going to say that the defensive coordinator, Salah, is my favorite. Oh, man. Uh, is my highlight player. Just because I loved, I loved I love some it. of the stuff he was doing. You could think out of the um, box, Seth. You think out of the box. You went with uh, <laughs> Robert Salah, and, and you said, all right, I'm, an, I'm not going to be confined to your rules. I like it. I like the outlook. <laughs> yeah, there, there was just, like like I said, I, what I really liked was... You know, sending the nickel and then running the the stunt, the kind of two-man stunt to the same side as the nickel. So you really had a lot to deal with if you were the tackle because you're getting you're getting pinned inside almost. Or you're getting like held inside by the tackle who's um, penetrating. The nickel is coming screaming um, across your face. And then you have the stunt to deal with and you got to pass it off. Am I taking the nickel? Am I passing off the stunt? And they were getting home a few times. And then also, like I said, I got eight covered snaps of cover four palms quarters. I got five of man. I got six of cover three. I got two of cover two. Like he was moving people around. They do They did a great job of passing us off routes, especially off of the Rams. Um, play action game and their crossers and stuff. They were doing a great job of that. It was just a, a really well coached game. And it's, um, it was, pl- it was a pleasure to watch, honestly. Yeah. I think overall it was a, a solid game. I think now officially the Niners are now considered among the elite. If anyone had any questions before, uh, and, and the beat down of the Rams, the, the silence of the Rams, if you will, uh, is one reason why the Niners are now like, I've seen them like top two, I've seen them top five and all of the, the relevant power rankings. So, it's, it's good to be a Niner fan, my friend. The bandwagon is large when the Saints ultimately disappoint you, as they do <laughs> almost every year, uh, when the refs take your win, uh, when Teddy Two Gloves throws INTs, uh, when you realize that Drew Brees is 97 years old. We will be waiting with open arms, Seth, for you to jump on I, the Niners bandwagon. I had a Niners hat when I was, you know, six years old. So I'm hey, ready man, to go. You're in. You are absolutely in. in. <laughs> yep, that's all you need. That's that's the ticket to admission, a Niner hat. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Seth, thanks for coming on. Uh, Seth, where can they find you on the Twitters? Uh, just at S-E-T-H-G-A-L-I-N-A. All right. And if you want to read some of his Joe Burrow love, you can do so on SB Nation. Uh, what's the LSU uh, sport, uh, SB Nation site? Uh, Espionation LSU is and the Valley Shook. And then you can also find me on Canal Street Chronicles talking about the Saints. That's right. So definitely read some of his stuff because if you are interested in why Joe Burrow is awesome, uh, actually Seth does a great job breaking it down. Uh, and if you want to hate read some Saints stuff, uh, you can do so <laughs> uh, as well. Seth, thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, and maybe we'll have you on some more to talk about some more QB stuff. Cool. Thanks for having me. All right, next up is our rundown. It's going to be those midweek stories or stats of note that I thought would be interesting to bring you before we preview the game against Washington. Number one, of course, Jalen Ramsey is now officially a Los Angeles Ram. This definitely makes the Rams better. Uh, But honestly, it's something where you're probably putting all of your trust in Goff and McVay if you're the Rams because they are going to need some offensive line help. And at this point, you're mortgaging everything in terms of draft capital, in order to go all in again, and I guess you can go all or in, if you will. But Mike Sando had a really interesting point. He said the Rams did not select in the first rounds of the 2017, 18, or 19 drafts, of course, because of the Jared Goff trade and the Brandon Cooks trade with the Patriots in 2018. 
They traded back in, from the 31st overall slot in 2019 in order to get more draft capital, but still managed to select four players over the first three rounds. So they're trying to bolster their depth with those draft picks. But oh, And they are among the NFL's top 10 in homegrown draft choices under contract. But you got to believe that they are absolutely saying we're going to have to ride out the talent that we have right now. And they think that getting a corner like Jalen Ramsey can do it. Jalen Ramsey is one of the best corners in the NFL. And this is definitely something that is going to make the Rams better. But I don't know that it's going to matter within the division, given that you've got the Seattle Seahawks and the Niners who are going to ultimately try to run the ball down their throats. And so I think, hey, it sucks that Ramsey's in the division. It really does, because you don't want that team to get better. And I think swapping out Ramsey for Peters does. But I'll be curious to see whether or not they're going to have any depth when they're giving up as much draft capital with them being up against the cap as much as they are. Next up, of course, Anquan Bolden, officially retired. Honestly, there's one play I will always remember him for, and it does not have anything to do with the Super Bowl. That's literally blacked out, probably because of alcohol, from my mind. But it's his end zone catch in Seattle in the playoffs over Earl Thomas, where I think, man, Colin Kaepernick just throws one hell of a dart and for some reason, it gets through Earl Thomas, who jumps up and tries to get it, hits Bolden in the hands and scores a touchdown. So Anquan Bolden, thanks to you, my friend. You were a Niner, if only for a short time. Uh, and those vice for hands will be missed. Tevin Coleman, fantasy almost. Yes, he had the TD reception, but he had opportunities for more. He's officially the goal line back. If you're looking for a 49er not named George Kittle to pick up in fantasy and you couldn't get your clutches on Matt Breida, Go for Tevin Coleman because fantasy is all about opportunities. And that's exactly what Tevin Coleman got. He had, of course, the screen passed down to the three. He had several goal line carries. The team was trying to feed him at the goal line and it just couldn't make it work. So Tevin Coleman, uh, I've got you in the family in the family fantasy league. I need you to score me some more damn points. Notable stats. The team's plus 83-point differential ranks second only to the Patriots and represents the 49ers' best mark through five games since 1961. And of course, the most important thing in football, scoring points and not letting your opponent score points. So point differential is huge. And we get to the running for the 49ers. We talked about running on second and long last week. This week, it's ta- it's running into a stack box. The 49ers run into eight plus man boxes, two out of every three run snaps. Two out of every three runs, they're running into stack box. This is inflated a bit because of end of game situations. But when you're running a lot of 21 or 12 personnel, uh, this is going to happen. So the Niners are averaging, I think, the second most rushing yards in the NFL. And they're doing so while running into heavy boxes, which is why I will be very, very interested to see what happens to that offense when you get both tackles back. Next up, we've got Denton Day from the Pig Pen podcast over there at Hogs Haven, who will come on to preview the game against the Washington Controversies. All right, Denton, let's just jump right into it. So the Washington Redskins are 1-5. and five. They are not having a great season. They are 30th in Football Outsiders' defense-adjusted value over average. They fired their head coach. And, of course, their, their big win last week uh, was also because of the best week of practice they've ever had. This is the kind of season you're having. When players like Adrian Peterson are saying, you know what, this is a great week of practice. Uh, and you turn that into a win against the Miami Dolphins. How does it feel to be a Washington Redskins fan right now, Denton? Well, I would say that the culture is still damn good. Uh, I think we're still riding with that. 
But, I mean, it's it's great to get the first win under the belt, but more importantly, it's nice to not be winless because there was a realistic chance that we lost the Dolphins. We go 0-16, and I don't need that burden placed on my shoulders. I don't know if I'm mentally prepared to take the bashing of my team going 0-16. So if nothing else, we avoided that. So that's a big win. Yeah, I think uh, Kevin Clark of The Ringer had the tweet of maybe the season for the Washington Redskins. He said, the the difference between the Washington Redskins and the Miami Dolphins is that the Washington Redskins aren't intending to do this. He's right. And I, I saw that tweet and I, I was so it hurt because it was true. It, it was one of those things where you see something and you know that it's true. So it digs just a little bit deeper. That's exactly what that was. Oh, man. So now, of course, you've got the 49ers who are coming into Washington to try and win the game. And honestly, this is a game that if you're a Niners fan, you're probably taking this as an automatic win at this point. So I I would love for you to tell the team or to tell Niners fans everywhere exactly why this shouldn't be thought of as an automatic win for the 49ers. Because when you look at the, the defense, especially the secondary, you think to yourself, okay. When you look at the offense and you're like, Bill Callahan wants to run the ball all of the time, you're like, okay. Uh, and, and so you think to yourself, all right, we should, we should walk away with a win. Why won't that happen? Well, I would say if I'm putting my best Redskins PR hat on here, I would say that our defensive front can do some things that could limit the the Niners' ability to run the football. And we've seen so far throughout the course of the season that they've been a pretty damn good run team. If nothing else, Kyle Shanahan is great at developing a great running attack. I know that probably angers just about every Falcons fan everywhere, but Kyle Shanahan knows how to run the ball. And, and the Redskins have an ability with the guys they have, at least in their front four, that they can cause some issues. And, and in a situation like this, they could possibly make Jimmy Garoppolo be the guy that has to beat them. And I still have a little bit of questions on whether or not Jimmy can be the guy that can can go out there and throw for 350, 400 yards and beat an opposing team. Uh, so in a perfect scenario for the Redskins, that's what they do. They slow the run game down and they say, hey, Garoppolo, come beat us and earn that win to stay undefeated. Now, of course, you've got Jonathan Allen on that defensive front. And he's probably the big name, but he's probably, at least so far, hasn't been playing the best along that Redskins defensive front. Who are some of the other players that Niners fans may not know about that are playing really, really good football for the, the Washington Redskins along that front? Well, the other big guy would be Drawn Payne. And, you know, we call them the Alabama guys. Both guys played at Alabama. Both guys won some national championships at Alabama. Those two guys are studs. But you're right, John Allen's been dealing with a little bit of injuries uh, to start the season off, which is unfortunate because at his best, he is fantastic. Uh, But then on the other side, it's really the big three when it comes to the Redskins defensive front. It's John Allen, it's Jerron Payne, and the third guy is Matt Ioannidis. I have, for the life of me, tried to come up for a nickname with those three guys, and I just really haven't been able to do anything with it. Uh, But those three guys are really, really good. For a while, not last, maybe it was last season or two seasons ago, Matt Ioannidis kind of played with a club on his hand, and he was just able to work through it. And that's kind of the thing that you look for in a guy uh, in the trenches on the defensive line. He had a bum hand, and he said, I'm still going to play through it, and he played fantastic through that injury. Uh, So those are the three guys to really be on the lookout for, of course, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with Ryan Kerrigan. He's been around the league for uh, quite some time now. But in the run game, Ryan Anderson's a guy uh, that can play really, really great run support. Not a great pass rusher. He would be the total package Ryan Anderson would be if he could rush the passer. But unfortunately, he can't. But he is great in run support. So those are kind of the guys that you're looking at. And, of course, Montez Sweat is just a freak of an athlete. But he's been off to a relatively slow start so far. But I would say the main three guys are Payne, Allen, and Ioannidis. You know, I think if you look at your defense, you're absolutely right that that run game has been or the run defense has been surprisingly decent. But 
when you look at the past defense, I mean, you've got former 49er defensive coordinator Greg Minuski at the helm there in Washington. And and his, it doesn't matter what he seems to be able to do or want to do in that secondary. They just can't do a whole hell of a lot of much because you've got maybe some solid play from Quentin Dunbar. But overall, that secondary is really, really suspect. And, you know, you, you talk about maybe Jimmy Garoppolo not being, um, you know, the not having to have to put the game on his shoulders thus far. Going up against a secondary like the the uh, the Josh Norbins are, are fielding right now, it, it might be a game where you see Jimmy Garoppolo break out a bit. Well, if the Redskins have a damn good culture, then Josh Norm is a damn good cornerback. And you're absolutely right. If there's <laughs> one guy that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to pick on, it's going to be Josh Norman. When the Dolphins went down and scored that touchdown in front of Josh Norman, the guy that Josh Norman was covering, it was the least surprising thing of the entire game. I could have told you that 10 minutes before it happened. If they got there, they're going to target Josh Norman. So this, for you guys, could be a great opportunity for Garoppolo to kind of build his confidence a little bit, moving the ball down the field, just to do it in the direction of Josh Norman, and you're bound to have some form of success. Yeah, but it's not just it's just, just Norman, because at this point, you've also got Fabian Moreau who is not playing very, very good. And he's had a couple of just really, really bad games, just busted coverages, not being in the right spot. He's, of course, a slot cornerback. I think this is, if you're going to try and attack the weakness of the Washington Redskins, if you're Kyle Shanahan, it's definitely going to be along the edges because those corners are there. I mean, they're right for the pick at this point. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like every single game, there, there's multiple busted coverages, and I know in football that you know that's bound to happen every now and then. But it does seem to happen much more frequently with this group, which is kind of surprising because more or less they've kind of been together for a good amount of years now. You know, all these guys have played with each other, with the exception of Landon Collins, who just got here this offseason. But everybody else has been in this system before, so the amount of busted coverages that we're seeing is really head scratching to a certain extent. So. This is the time for Jimmy Garoppolo. If he wants to kind of build that confidence, like I said, this would be the secondary to do it. It pains me to say that, but that's just the reality of the situation. Well, what do you think that is? Because you, you did mention that the, you've got some high-priced free agents that are not playing well. right? You've got uh, Josh Norman, who's, of course, making a ton of money but not living up to it. But you've also got Landon Collins, who's not playing poorly. Uh, you know, He's not playing lights out, but he's not playing bad. And this unit has been sticking together. Greg Minuski, you know, while he's he's kind of maligned, especially in Washington, he's not... You know, you could do worse at defensive coordinator. So so what do you think is is really the thing that's going on with that Redskins defense? Oh, I think that's the most frustrating part of this this whole ordeal is I don't really know. Like I wish there was something that you could point to and say this is the situation, this is what needs to be fixed. But when you look at all the guys that we have in the D in the secondary on paper, all of them have a certain degree of strengths that you would think would mesh well together, but for whatever reason through the first part of this season, they just haven't. And Landon Collins, I think, has made some really good plays that maybe don't get talked about as much because the team is losing, but he has had his own amount of struggles as well, and he kind of came in bold this offseason, said, I want to wear Sean Taylor's number, which is a bold proclamation for this franchise who, for whatever reason, doesn't actually retire numbers, but they do retire numbers, but they don't. It doesn't make any sense, but he's kind of living off of that a little bit. I love what Monte Nicholson does. He has a, a lot of potential, but for whatever reason, they just can't seem to put it together. And I don't know if that's more of a mental aspect than a than a physical ability aspect, but that's what it's been through the first six games or so. They just they haven't had a complete game as a secondary to this point. Now, of course, when you go to the other side of the ball, the matchup that I'll be watching is just watching a really, really fun young wide receiver do his thing. And unfortunately, that's not going to be anyone on the 49ers. It's going to be someone on the Washington Redskins. That's going to be scary Terry McLaurin, 
who is someone that we did a little bit of, of preseason kind of draft prep on. And, and I was left impressed with his college tape. I thought he could be a wide receiver the Niners could target if they went with a wide receiver in the second or third round. And, and he is playing just some really, really good football for Washington. I've got a question for you. Let's see if you know the answer here. How many combined yards do Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Odell Beckham Jr., Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and Brandon Cooks have combined against the 49ers this season? Oh, I would be willing to bet that number is not very high. It is 143 yards. Oh. It is 143 yards and one touchdown on 14 catches. And this isn't because they're having a terrible year, right? To put that in context, that group has two of the top five leaders in receiving yards in football after six weeks and a combined 2,639 yards and 15 touchdowns when they're not playing the 49ers. So my question to you is, is Terry McLaurin going to have a game where everyone is going to be like, wow, he's still really, really good? Or do you think the Niners are going to be able to put the clamps on Terry McLaurin? Well, I'll answer your question with a question. Are the Redskins actually going to do their best to get Terry McLaurin the ball as much as possible? Because he's had a great season so far, but there are stretches where they just don't seem to want to throw to him. And it's head-scratching because he is by far the best offensive player on this team. I mean, Adrian Peterson had a great game this past week, but it was against the Dolphins, and that does benefit him a little bit. But so far, that team is known as the Lolfins on this podcast. They are the Lolfins, LOL. My apologize. I was jumping off a little bit. I was out of pocket. Uh, but McLaurin's been awesome, <laughs> and they use him as kind of a deep threat. And ideally, and in a perfect world here, if I'm if I'm putting my offensive coordinator hat on, you would like to take a deep shot to Terry McLaurin at least once a quarter, just to keep the defense honest. And I like I I'm really looking forward to at some point McLaurin versus Richard Sherman. I've been a huge fan of Richard Sherman for a long, long time, and he's kind of reinvented himself and reinvigorated his career a little bit uh, at after the departure of Seattle, and we know he had those injuries. But he's playing really, really great this season. I would love for those two guys to match up because McLaurin is young and exciting, and I think that benefits him because through what we've seen so far, he has played some good corners. McLaurin has. He doesn't tend to back down. Now, he might not have – 150 yards I'm not saying that because the guy throwing him the ball is partly responsible for that but I would say that McLaurin is probably going to have a better game than some of the guys that you mentioned on that list now that won't be hard because I know Otto Beckham Jr. didn't exactly play great but but I would think McLaurin would surpass some of the dudes mentioned on that list you know I I would agree with you by and large but I'm just wondering who else is going to be there to take any pressure off McLaurin because, I mean, you've got Vernon Davis, because, of course, this is the Vernon Davis revenge game. Now that Jordan Reed is on IR with concussions, and hopefully he gets just good in general in life. Like, you hate to see that with anyone. Um, and so hopefully he ends up being okay. Uh, but you've got Vernon Davis, who said, uh, I think, earlier this week that he will always be a 49er in his heart. So, you know, he's he's going to be imagining himself as a 49er in this game, apparently. But, I mean, who who else do you have on offense that's really going to do much of anything you, you can't really run adrian peterson into that defensive front too often this is again not the lolfins you've got you know some you've got brandon sheriff who's going to do brandon sheriff things but that's that's really about it i mean other than that you don't have a ton of offensive weapons and i think you said it earlier the quarterback situation is hashtag not great bob i mean you've got case keenum colt mccoy haskins who uh allegedly doesn't even know how to call plays in the huddle um, so, you know, what what's going to happen on offense that is even going to allow Terry McLaurin to get space? 
Well, I have been working out recently, so if they need to make a call, my, my phone's always open. Uh, and unfortunately, you're, you're kind of right. There, there's not really a whole lot of anybody. Trey Quinn has had moments, but he's also he, he's been relatively unimpressive on when it comes to offense. He had some some nice returns his rookie year, but he's been relatively unimpressive. Paul Richardson is kind of hit or miss, and you're right with Jordan Reed. The Jordan Reed situation is just terrible. He had, he was so good when he was healthy, but. I fear for him in the future. I would prefer that nobody leaves football with their brain looking like mashed potatoes, but that's kind of what he is at this point. He's had so many concussions, and it's so tough to watch. He's not going to be there. You can only count on Vernon Davis to do so many things, especially at the age that he is. Like When he scored that touchdown against Philadelphia to open the week where he leaped over a dude, I I was fearing for my life because I didn't know that he could do that, and I was scared when he was going to land how he was going to land. So maybe that's one of the issues with the Redskins here and why they don't just give it to Terry every single play that they can because they they at least want to give off the facade of having other playmakers. But the unfortunate reality is they really don't. I mean, Steve Sims Jr. is good for a play or two. He had that one really, really big touchdown against New England, the 63, I think it was 63-yarder on that weird end around. He's good for one of those, but that's really about it. He's not a pristine route runner. They don't really use him in the pass game a whole lot. So it's essentially Terry McLaurin, a sizable gap. Then you have Adrian Peterson. I don't think Chris Thompson's going to go, so that hurts, although he hasn't exactly been fantastic this year. And then there's an even bigger sizable gap between the next great playmaker on that offense, and uh, it, it's not good. And maybe that's going to limit the, what this – uh, team has the ability to do against this defense because Lord have mercy, that 49ers defense is absolutely disgusting this season. Yeah, it really is. And, and when I look at the game, you know, I think the worry for 49ers fans is that maybe this is a trap game. This is a game coming off of a really big win in Los Angeles. And, and now they have to go to Washington and play in an early game, which the Niners have won road games before. I mean, to me, they've been able to overcome a five turnover game against Pittsburgh, I think there's not a lot more that the Washington Redskins can throw at them, especially with someone like Bill Callahan at the helm who basically wants to run the ball like it's 1956. And, and so I think when you put all that together and, and you also take into account the fact that three of your four worst graded players on offense via Pro Football Focus are your three quarterbacks, Case Keenum, Colt McCoy, and Dwayne Haskins, I think ultimately the Niners should walk in, take care of business. Uh, and even if McLaurin gets a little bit of his, I think ultimately it should be a win because the, what, what the story has been for the 49ers so far has been re- being able to lean on positive game scripts where they end up getting ahead. And now all of a sudden the defensive line can just tee off and make life difficult for quarterbacks. And when you've got the offensive line, when you've got trouble along the offensive line, like the Washington Redskins do. I think it's just going to be a recipe for disaster. And ultimately, I think the Niners are going to end up winning this game. Uh, what's your prediction for for the outcome of the game? In my most optimistic sense, I'm just heavily leaning on this being a trap game. But the unfortunate reality is that it probably is not. You know, you mentioned that this was a revenge game for Vernon Davis. It's also a revenge game for Kyle Shanahan. And, and he spoke today about his time in Washington. And there was... Yeah, did you hear that quote? <laughs> I was laughing at it because that's kind of what this franchise has been for the past 20 years. When you have a, a, a plethora of coaches that leave and then all of them say bad things, you, you know, it's not just a coincidence at a certain point. And I know that I know that Kyle Shanahan is a great football coach. I knew it when he was here. Um, I've loved watching him, but I, 
I just don't see any feasible way unless Case Keenum just turns into Super Saiyan Case Keenum and throws for 500 yards, which seems very unlikely. Or if or Trent Williams just miraculously comes back, then all of a sudden we're good. But uh, I mean, this is it's not going to be a good game for the Redskins. It's, this is now going to be probably the fourth game this season that I'm going to watch, but I'm not going to enjoy watching it. Well, I think the line right now is that the market has the Niners as eight and a half point favorites. Do you think they cover or, or do you think that the, the Redskins are able to cover? Oh, I would I would say they probably cover right now. I would say if we're going for kind of moral victories, if we score more than the Browns, I'm good. And you know what? That's not a bad place to be. Score more than the Browns. That's man. I feel bad because, you know, the. I was right there with you as a Niners fan. After the whole Jim Harbaugh thing, you had those years where Jim Tomsula was your coach, and you're like, what are we doing here? Um, so I feel you, man. I really do. And, you know, it, uh, it sucks to be on that side, but I understand. Um, it feels good to be on this side, though, where you're just like, you know what? This should really be a win. Not going to lie. feels good. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that would be a good feeling. We don't have that much, but we do have a damn good culture. I just want the record to, to be straight on that. Damn good culture over here. For the record, if you if you didn't hear Kyle Shanahan's uh, comments earlier today, uh, he was asked what he liked about coaching in Washington. He said, coaching with my dad. And then they said, what didn't you like? And he said, everything else. And I think that's uh, that's a good way to end. Den, you can find... What, Den, where can they find you? Your podcast uh, on Hogshaven. And where can they follow you on Twitter, especially during the game, to get some of the uh, the sad tweets? Yeah, yeah, you can follow my entertaining Twitter feed at Denton underscore day. And subscribe to the Hogshaven podcast feed if you are a Redskins fan listening. Uh, you can find me at the Pigpen podcast and really just all over the place. I do my best to stay busy. Hey, Denton, thanks for coming on. Uh, best of luck. Uh, at least hope you... You know what? Uh, I don't hope that you cover because I want to extract every sweet sweet morsel of victory from this. But you know what? Uh, the one thing I can hope for you uh, is that you get rid of Bruce Allen uh, in some way, shape, or form soon. I, I certainly hope so. I appreciate you, you having me on. Enjoy the game this weekend. I'd be willing to bet you're going to enjoy it a lot more than I am. But hey, go Nats. That about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. Thanks again to Seth Galina and Denton Day for coming on the show. Thanks to you for tuning in. And as always, go Niners.